Welcome to Pace and Practice, an Eden Project podcast focused on Christian spiritual formation in which we desire to help people become people of love who walk at the pace of love. Welcome to this episode of Pace and Practice. My name's Nathan, and I'm here with Chuck Geschwind, who is Eden Project's Director of Spiritual Formation and Culture, which basically means he's like Yoda around here. And we call him Papa Chuck because he just hugs people and tells them that <laughs> God loves them. Yeah. And it's amazing. So what's up, Chuck? Man, just glad to be here today. I'm glad I'm loved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I love you, bro. I know you do. I love you, man. And I love doing this with you. This it's is super fun. Yeah. It is super fun. Yeah. You know what else is super fun? Uh, our guest today. She is a lot of fun. Yeah. I can attest to that. Yeah. 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 So there's kind of the, if you've been around Chuck for a minute, mm-hmm. then you know there's there's some people that he'll talk mm-hmm. about, right? But he actually is in a is in an organization right now going through a cohort. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been super helpful for you. So why don't you like tee that up as we introduce our guest? Yes. I started, what, almost two years ago now in TC18, which is Transforming Community 18. We're about to be eight nights of the way through here in a couple weeks. And um, you don't know this, Ruth, but um, after reading a lot of Adele Calhoun, even her preface to her Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, talking about desire, I did two and a half years with SELA and spiritual direction training and just basing everything off desire. And so when I was thinking about doing something else, because I'm a learner, uh, it's like one of the main things that drew me, because I didn't know that much about you, uh, was that that's where you started the spiritual journey. So that mm-hmm. that that sold me hook, line, and sinker. Uh, I reread just that statement in, in the beginning of Sacred Rhythms all the time. So super helpful, and that drew me in, and mm-hmm. I have absolutely no regrets about investing all the time and money in uh, and mm. being part of your cohort. Awesome. Mm. So yeah, as Chuck's talking, he's uh, he's talking about, and actually we are talking yeah. to uh, Ruth Haley Barton, who is the author of uh, the recent book, Embracing the Rhythms of Work and Rest. She also wrote uh, Sacred Rhythms, um, which is kind of a, a book on spiritual transformation that we have a lot of our people read at Eden Project. So yes, yes we it's do. kind of like assigned stuff. Yeah. Um, also wrote The Strengthening of the Soul of Your Leadership, among many other things. And so we're we're really excited to have you on the podcast with us today. Thanks for being here, Ruth. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome. Good to be with you. Absolutely. So why don't you just start and, and uh, tell our audience like a little bit about yourself and me too. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not as familiar with you as mm-hmm. Chuck is. And so I'd love to hear just a little bit about who you are, um, your family, your background, um, how the Lord has brought you to this point, mm-hmm. the work he's invited you into, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I'm a pastor's kid, and so that's uh, an important thing to know because it means that I understand the church world probably better than any other world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, children who are raised as pastor's kids, we do see the church a little differently than most people. We sort of see it, you know— for, from down below, looking up at the seamy <laughs> underbelly of yeah. this thing called the church. And so, um, you know, I know the life of pastoral work. It's been not just my dad's work, but my own work. And so, um, you know, as I began to get into ministry and I went into ministry in college, right after college, I began to recognize um, needs in my own life that weren't being served, fully satisfied within the evangelical circles that I was a part of at the time. And 
began to reach out for the more, what I call it, capital M, you know, and I was willing to do almost anything to experience the more. And I had questions for which I didn't have really good answers. There were emotions from having been raised in the church and some of what I had seen in the church, sadness and anger that I didn't know what to do with. Um, there were, you know, real questions that I had with God and that I needed to work out with God and needed help to do so. I also was aware of a certain kind of drivenness in my patterns. And I think many evangelicals are very, very driven because we're an activistic bunch. And so a lot of times we emphasize our doing more than our being. And so that was something also that I needed real help to understand where that drivenness was coming from and why I was so afraid to change it, why I was so afraid to stop, um, how I could find God just beyond all the theology and the dogma that characterized my upbringing, a lot of theology and a lot of um, study. I mean, that's how we proved ourselves in my family is by, you know, studying your Bible, learning a lot about God, but um, not always being guided so well into the encounter with God that changes us. And I think the other thing that was just a real mystery for me as a child growing up in the church was to observe people who had been going to church several times a week for 50 years or so, but they weren't changing. Yeah, so little transformation. Yep, yes, yep. and so I think that's probably where the journey started for me was watching people in church who had been going to church for so long, but still were stuck in bad marriages. Uh, they were still selfish and territorial and competitive, competitive and jealous. And, you know, I just saw it all. And I wondered, how could anybody go to church this long and never really change? When in my mind and understanding, that's central to the message of the gospel is that yeah. we can change yeah, and be like totally. Christ. And yet it's not what I was seeing through mm -hmm. um, this life of going to church all the time. And so I had lots of questions. And that's what drew me into some of the spiritual practices that were outside the evangelical uh, tradition at that time. Um, at that time, nobody was teaching solitude and silence. Nobody was teaching about spiritual direction. Um, nobody was really teaching some of the more mystical elements of the faith. Um, those, those elements that have to do with a real encounter with a living God. And so, um, I, I was desperate enough to go in search of what it was that was my soul was longing for. And that's, you know, what has brought me, you know, to this place. And I've been sort of functioning in this space now for 30 years and um, um, really very much out of my own need and longing and desire more than anything else. Yeah, I love it. I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck and I are like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so help us understand, like, uh, how, why do you think, because our audience is sitting here going, yep, yep, yep. Why do you think that, uh, some of the classic disciplines um, of the spiritual life have been so uh, underemphasized or or just ignored, frankly, and that and that words like uh, more mystical elements can feel like uh, that's way out of, like at best out of bounds, at worst like something you know deviant is going on over there. Um, what what do you root that in? I mean, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think a lot of it goes back to the Protestant Reformation, where we um, threw out a lot of our Christian heritage. And I'm not saying that the reform the reform wasn't needed. It was. There were reforms that definitely needed to take place. But I think in the process, we threw out the baby with the bathwater, and we threw out some of the more, we could even call them sacramental aspects and elements of our faith. Um, and, you know, Protestants, we need to really acknowledge that we're known by what we protest. That is a part of our DNA. And so... Um, we just threw it all out and 
Um, I think we lost a lot in the process. And because, you know, we were reformers and because Protestantism is a very heady, almost intellectual sort of thing many times, um, I think that some of these more mystical or sacramental elements of faith just didn't fit with the dogma that we were beginning to put forward. And so there was a very, very false bifurcation that took place. And I, th- I do think it goes all the way back to, to the Protestant Reformation and some of the, the abuses in the Catholic Church, um, which did need to be rectified, but then we lost some of the good stuff too. Um, and it's part of our Christian heritage, our history. We are Judeo-Catholic Christian in the sense that that, that sort of speaks to our whole tradition, not just evangelicalism, with it, which is really very young compared to the whole tradition. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I had a friend, uh, Bruce Demarest, who I'm sure you may have interacted with, it's, but he told me one time, he was, uh, who he, he's passed on now, but uh, he told me one time, he's like, hey, to learn how to pray, I had to go see the Catholics. <laughs> And as a Protestant, you're like, yeah, you, you don't yeah. feel you feel like you're like, you know, abdicating to the other team, you hmm. know, but there's something that's really true about that. Right. In that in that tradition, they t- typically tend to be a lot more well-developed in prayer and and silence and solitude in some of these practices. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm resonating with what you're saying. Yeah, I've heard you teach on this enough that when you talk about spiritual formation, you also talk about just personally, not just historic pushback, but personal pushback just in the, the decade in which you kind of leaned into this. So, yeah, w- what have you experienced as far as even modern current pushback when you started your own journey? Yeah. Oh, well, there are so many reasons. I mean, I think one of them was the activism uh, that characterizes evangelical Protestantism and, you know, being very mission oriented. And I think there was some fear and concern that if people started paying attention to their spiritual formation, they would stop caring for the needs of the world. So for a while, that was a big theological conversation there was, you know, you know, what if we become so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good, that right. that sort of idea. Yeah. So it's not um, missional or loving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of it. I also think that um, with the onset of the mega church and sort of running churches like a business, which I think people are getting away from now, but there was certainly a period of time where, uh, the megachurches were being run um, according to some secular principles and a lot of success orientation. And I think spiritual formation, if it's true spiritual formation, is oftentimes not taking us in the direction of outward success, but um, the stripping away of the false self and the stripping away of our, um, you know, some of our natural ambitions and drivenness that characterize the ego um, spiritual formation in its depths is always going to confront the ego versus support the ego-driven drives that we have. And that's that can sometimes be very difficult as well. A true spiritual and formation and painful, <laughs> a true spiritual di- formation journey is also going to take us towards acknowledgement of that which is false within us, not just personally, but also in the churches and organizations that we lead. And so I think there's sort of an intuitive understanding that if we if we really do fully walk into this, some of our sacred cows might Mm-hmm. might be, you know, challenged or yeah. even slaughtered, you know. So yeah. there's Wonder. sort of an intuitive resistance knowing that that could possibly happen. Absolutely. It's yeah. almost like instead of being corporate communities as church, what would be discerning communities? And maybe someone mm-hmm. should write a book about that or something. <laughs> maybe somebody yeah. should. Yes, yeah. maybe somebody yeah. should. <laughs> that, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Ruth, what um what do you think uh how how do you think churches in the in the next decade will respond to the natural uh, flow of 
the consequences of being run like a business, running up against, or not just against, but sometimes even roughshod over, like the actual goal of formation uh, into Christ likeness. Because uh, speaking my own experience, I and mean, I'm thinking about a handful of different churches who have a lot more MBAs on staff than they do, you know, trained theologians or or people who've been trained in spiritual practices. Um, and I'm just, I'm just wondering, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's resonating or I'm, I'm hearing it echo in my mind of like, Hey, can't we keep both? Um, can't we like, can't we do this? And also, you know, uh, keep the activism and I can just hear the audience go, how do we, how do we, uh, reconcile those things? Yeah. Well, that's a pretty deep, that's a pretty deep conversation for sure. And, um, I think, you know, there is, there is the, the rhythm of the whole spiritual life is the Paschal rhythm that always is going to involve death, burial, waiting, and then eventually resurrection and new life. And so the spiritual formation journey will always move us through that rhythm, both as individuals and as communities and organizations. And so, you know, uh, there will always be a little bit of a rub there. And so I, that's why I'm not sure that both can always exist exactly together right at the same time, depending on what God is doing. You know, there are times when the call of God on our lives is to lay down our lives, to lay down our egos, to lay down our own human wisdom so that the wisdom of God, which is the foolishness of this world, can come forth. And there is sometimes a fundamental difference between what we in our ego drivenness might strive to do and to be and what God might be calling us to do and to be, which is often a lot more humble. So um, I think that that's, that's part of it right there. Um, I also think that there's nothing wrong with secular wisdom. And I always want to be very, very clear that there is a lot of wisdom that comes from the secular business arena. When I use the word secular, what I really mean is that there's just no space for God in it. Um, It's not bad. It's not, worthless. It's just that there isn't intentional space created for God and discerning what God's doing. And so um, I think we can embrace a lot of the rhythm, but we need to a lot of the wisdom of the secular business world, but we also need to integrate it strongly and faithfully with our spirituality and make sure that what we're doing has been integrated with a deep kind of spirituality. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's kind of a best practices, but mm-hmm. then there's also yeah. a, okay, now what, what, how do we incorporate these best practices into the heart of Christianity, mm-hmm. a, a union with Christ, a, a right. rela- relationality. Right. And God. so not to accept them just, you know, right. without any sort of critique at all. Right. I think there right. has to be some critique and some intentional integration and melding of the two together. But but carefully, like I also don't want to see us just baptizing with spiritual language, very, very secular approaches to life and leadership. We need to be very, very careful about that, that it's not just a thin spiritual sounding veneer over principles that are actually deeply secular and, and that there is no space for God in them. Yeah. Yeah. I know your journey as a Christ follower, you've talked about just wanting the more, more for yourself, whether you were on staff at a, a church or whatever you were doing, but then also there's particular ways in which your spiritual formation has benefited you as a leader. So talk to leaders for a minute about how crucial their own personal spiritual formation is for the very task of leadership. Right. Right. Well, um, in the book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, I unpack the life of Moses. And the way that I do that is by looking through the lens of his sacred rhythm. And I think his sacred rhythm of leadership was hearing God, encountering God in solitude, 
um, waiting for the encounter, waiting for God to speak, waiting to have a sense of what God was calling him to next, then emerging from that place and doing exactly what God called him to do, which for some people might feel like too simplistic of an approach to leadership, but I have found it to be the simplicity beyond the complexity. You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes talks about the fact that um, he wouldn't give anything for simplicity on this side of complexity, but he would give his right arm for simplicity on the other side of complexity. And so I've been around long enough to have lived within the complexities. And uh, the simplicity for me on the other side of complexity is this whole idea that the spiritual life does begin in solitude. Uh, Henry Nouwen says that. And the reason that we can make such a statement is because the spiritual life begins with God, uh, begins with God at the center of our being. And solitude, by definition, is the place where we give our full and undivided attention to God. And we listen for the still small voice being rather than being driven by all the other voices that clamor for our attention. And so there are many things that happen in solitude and silence for a leader. Um, it becomes the place of our own conversion where we are aware and we, we're aware of our false self patterns, what has driven us, what is still unresolved within us that's driving uh, perhaps bad behaviors. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that um, when I want to do good, evil is close at hand, which is a really powerful idea for leaders because most leaders get into leadership or into pastoral ministry because they want to do good. And Paul is saying right there in that very place where I want to do good, evil is close at hand. And so the evil, I believe, is that which is unresolved within us that which has not been transformed into the image of Christ. And that place gives Satan a foothold. It becomes a foothold for Satan to come in and do Satan's work through us versus God doing God's good work. And so solitude is a place of our own conversion where we see ourselves for who we really are. We recognize our false self patterns and we're willing to um, grow in our ability to, yeah, to surrender to God and to trust God for the outcomes of our lives, which is a very important journey for leaders. Um, solitude is also the place where we learn to pay attention to all things burning in our own lives. And we ask God to help us make meaning out of those things so that we can move forward in a discerning way. It's the place where we uh, hear our calling, maybe for the first time, but definitely we wrestle with our calling as time goes by. Um, and we allow God to speak to us freshly about our calling. It's also a place where we intercede for those that God has given us to lead and to love. And so uh, I don't hear intercession being talked about very much in leadership conferences, but the story of Moses shows us that intercession is one of the major roles of a leader. And what I mean by intercession is to be in God's presence on, on behalf of others. And so to be in God's presence on behalf of those that we've been called to lead. And then finally, in solitude, um, it's also a place where we get guidance for what we need next for our leadership and eventually then also God becomes our ultimate orienting reality and we come into right relationship with our vision uh, with the promised land, however it is that we see that. And so we know that uh, Moses didn't enter all the way into the promised land. Um, and yet I believe that the presence of God with him became the promised land. He didn't need a physical promised land because he already had what was most valuable to him, which is the presence of God with me right here and right now. And so uh, we get into a right relationship with the vision where we're willing to spend ourselves in God's service. But when God tells us it's time to let go, we're able to let go quite easily because, yeah. uh, you know, because we have God and God's it's not about you. Best yeah. Thing. yeah. And God's <laughs> yeah. the best thing that can happen yeah, to totally. us under any circumstance. Yeah, and yeah. One other thing that really was personally um, transforming for me in reading now and on solitude that you assigned us and uh, I'd read before, but I probably read it 10 times that first year. The place of our conversion, the the great transformation and all that. But it 
talks about the more we're willing to sit in those compulsivities of our false self. But what really resonated is that's where we can experience deeper levels of the compassion of Christ. And he talks about that's where solitude and ministry, you know, intersect is at that place of compassion, because until we receive deeper and deeper amounts of Christ's personal compassion, can we become a compassionate leader? And so often, I mean, holy cow. Why isn't like the fruit of the spirit, right? And compassion and gentleness marks of Christian leaders. And so that's been particularly impactful for me in, in, in the months, the list that you gave us. So that's, that's been my personal experience. So Ruth, what do you think? Um, I mean, you, you have, you have a national, I'm sure probably on some level, a global audience, and you probably interact with a lot of different people. So you're in a unique position to kind of see uh, or at least kind of put your toe in the water on hey, what's the temperature around um, the church right now in regard to this. And um, I'm just I'm just curious, like, what do you think God is up to um, more broadly in in this season? Well, uh, you might expect me to say this, but I think that the past season has really revealed the fact that many, many churchgoers are not experiencing transformation. So in COVID, we know that there were many, many divisions that were revealed that were always there under the surface, but became to the surface because of COVID and the way that it got politicized and the ways that our responses got politicized. And so many, many pastors began to see that, um, you know, underneath kind of the Christian niceness there was real division and an inability to be with differences. Um, there was uncivility among us just as much as there was, you know, in the larger political scene. There was an inability to discern, you know, to discern God's will and God's way. Um, and so I think it really revealed a lack of transformation, a lack of true spiritual maturity or what we might call true Christ likeness. Um, and that, you know, in many ways, you know, for going to church all of our lives, we're quite shallow in terms of how much Christ has actually been formed in us. And, and of course, it's been very sobering. I think we also live in a post-therapeutic society where we understand the limits of therapy and things like that. And there is now a much more articulated desire for real change in our lives, real transformation, not just going through the motions. And uh, I think people are willing to choose and make choices for themselves that, number one, will open them to what they would consider to be real change in their lives. And also there's a deep desire for a way of life that works. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. oftentimes entering into the life of the church just feels like adding a lot of Christian busyness onto lives that are already unmanageable. And I think if we don't pay attention to that as church, if we don't um, actually cast vision for a way of life that works, even at the level of scheduling and priorities and demands of life in our culture, life is very, very stressful in our culture right now. And if the church is just inviting us into more stress and into more busyness um, and away from a way of life that works, we're going to have a hard time selling that. (laughs) And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. (laughs) In the Old Testament, God says to the Israelites, see, I've set before you life and death, now choose life. I think people are really now much more spiritually savvy and able to discern whether or not attaching myself to this group of people is going to really lead me into life or not. And Mm. people are extremely sensitive and extremely discerning about what they're going to give themselves to at this time. Yeah. Yeah. What an opportunity though, right? 
for sure. For, oh, for, yes, absolutely. For there to be evaluation to mm-hmm. just go, hey, what 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 have we been doing? Um, yeah. And does that work? Um, yeah. there's, there's a pragmatism about all of this that's just like, man, this, this just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah. too, in COVID, I mean, you I've, I got this from Willard, but, he t- you know, mm-hmm. talks about like, hey, what comes out of you when you get squeezed? You know, mm-hmm. and that's the real litmus test to like, hey, how yeah. what does your interior world look like? Mm-hmm. And uh, and COVID in a lot of ways, like just squeezed all of us. Um, yeah. And showed us who we society. really were and what that's level right. of transformation or deformation yep. we were that's right. actually engaged in. Yeah. And that's why it's been such a hard season for pastors, too, obviously, is because um, people just weren't nice. Yeah. I mean, th- you know, they when they got squeezed, they weren't nice. That's right. And they really weren't nice to their pastors. Mm-hmm. I've talked about the fact that, you know, in COVID, there was, you know, no pastor could do, could do anything that would satisfy everyone. There was yeah. always someone upset with the decisions that you were making rather than getting the support, you know, from their people while they were trying to do something they had never done before and trying to navigate something that was inexplicable. Mm. That rather than getting supported, they got criticized and critiqued. And no wonder, you know, we see ourselves experiencing a great resignation because yeah. pastors were like, I'm working too hard to get treated yeah, this way, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? Totally. Yeah. And paid mm. so little. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of our favorite questions to ask, because I know things ebb and flow in our spiritual life, though, in this current current season for you, Ruth, like what practice is, is really bringing a lot of life to you in, in mm-hmm. this particular season? Yeah. Well, the Sabbath, for sure. Yeah. Um, Barbara Brown Taylor talks about the question, what's saving your life these days? Yeah. And when I talk about the Sabbath, I talk about the Sabbath as the discipline that is saving my life. And it has saved my life for over 20 years. It yeah. saves my life week by week by week. Um, I wouldn't be here without it. It is the greatest joy of my life. Um, and it's just the best day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it absolutely is. And it's the day that I feel myself loved beyond all that I do. And I love God for being so loving as to give his children a gift like this. I fall in love again with God's gifts to me in my ordinary life. Um, I get in touch with who I really am in God. And so um, I don't know if, I don't know if Sabbath will ever completely stop being the primary discipline of my life that Mm -hmm. keeps me, um, that keeps me on track. Well, and the, I mean, just from a biblical perspective, right, it's a, it's a recognition of Mm -hmm. our our own limitation. Mm -hmm. It's a recognition of the sovereignty and the sufficiency of God. Um, And I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, hey, even in the, even in the fully realized kingdom of God, you have Sabbath, you know, you have a a stopping, a pausing to recognize who, who is in control. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, well, hey, we're going to come back uh, with Ruth in the next episode. Um, so stick with us and come on back to hear more about the work that she's doing in this space. Thanks so much for being with us today on the Pace and Practice podcast. If anything in this podcast today encouraged you or piqued your curiosity, share with your friends, give us a rating, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And now as we depart, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.